What it do, what it do? I'm too juice you slid through. This vibe way with Scipio. A brand new podcast show introducing the dope music you've been craving and delivering fresh perspectives on today's hottest topics. Stay tuned. We finna catch a wave. Thank you for joining me for another exciting segment of the Vibeway Podcast Show with Scipio. You know, before we get started, I'd like to ask you to go on and like, share, and subscribe this podcast on the different platforms that you listen to it on. It'll really help me spread the word, and I really appreciate it. You know, I include a lot of music in these segments, and the current platform that I'm on right now will not allow me to monetize each episode unless I take the music off. So what I'd like to do is just simply propagate the podcast, if we may, spread the word for me, help me get it out there, and I'll take care of everything else from there. And, of course, if your heart is moved to donate or uh, share some funds or something like that with me in the podcast, well, then I greatly appreciate that as well. What we're going to do for this segment is talk about a topic that seems to be resonating with many people today. Um, This week, it has been a very popular subject, uh, particularly due to the timing of the topic. What we're going to discuss today is the 400th year anniversary of the first Africans brought into Jamestown, Virginia, into what we now know as the United States of America. All right, we're going to get into it. What does that mean for us today? How are we supposed to look at this thing and how are we supposed to move forward? Let's take a break and then get right into it. You're a musician. You create music for the world to hear it. In order for the world to hear it, they need to be able to access it. In order for them to access it, your music needs to be on every single platform available on this planet. Visit oringi.org today to see your dream become a reality. Brace for impact. Let's get right to it, y'all. The topic of the anniversary of the 400th year that the first Africans were brought into the Northern Hemisphere, into this Northern Western Hemisphere, if I may. You know, Northern Continent, Western Hemisphere. Um, Jamestown, Virginia, 1619. By some accounts, we can research and find a date uh, lining up with the middle of the month. Anywhere from the 15th to the 19th of August, 1619, when the ship actually touched down to the Powhatan River, which was then named James River. In other accounts, we can see that the ship touched down toward the end of August uh, in the same location. Then within those varying accounts, we also have a different number of African people who were brought off. Some accounts say that there were about 50 men, women, and children that were taken off of the ship. Other accounts say that there were about 20 
men um, that were taken off of the ship. What I like to do is read a quick excerpt for you all from the uh, NPS.org site that is the National uh, Park Service uh, official website um, out there in Virginia. Okay, so you can check this out. It's www.nps.org, um, excuse me, .gov, and then uh, you can just Google Jamestown, Virginia, 1619, and it should pop up for you. But what I like to do is read this excerpt, okay? And it's a detailed chronological um, listing of a little bit under the first hundred years of what the people experienced in that particular colony. So starting with 1619, the arrival of 20 and odd. So that and odd could make the number 50 or anywhere close to 20. Arrival of 20 and odd Africans in late August 1619 not aboard a Dutch ship as reported by John Rolfe, but an English warship, White Lion, sailing with a letters of mark issued to the English Captain Jope by the Protestant Dutch Prince Maurice, son of William of Orange. A letters of mark legally permitted the White Lion to sail as a privateer attacking any Spanish or Portuguese ships it encountered. The 20 and odd Africans were captives removed from the Portuguese slave ship, San Juan Batista. Following an encounter the ship had with the White Lion and her consort, the treasurer, another English ship, while attempting to deliver its African prisoners to Mexico. Rolf's reporting the White Lion as a Dutch warship was a clever ruse to transfer blame away from the English for piracy of the slave ship to the Dutch. So what we have here is a straightjack move, y'all. Okay. For all accounts and all intent and purposes, this could possibly be the factor, the deciding factor in what got the English in the actual uh, transatlantic slave trade. What a letter of Mark was, was basically a free all license, okay, that was given by the government that 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 person belonged to or that company belonged to, in this case, the English. And the English government wrote a letter of Mark to their crewmen, okay, to their representatives of the sea, which basically allowed them to freely piratize any ship that was not English, okay? So these were legal jack moves, and, and, it, and it stands to say, how do we look at this from a moral standpoint? Because we're all faced with moral issues daily, right? But what is it to say that a government can waive the morale of one through the written word which then gives that person the right, so-called legally, a 
according to the government authorization to then become a pirate and to steal peoples and other merchandise and goods from a ship that did not belong to the government who issued the letter of mark. So that's the first thing I want to look at. The second thing is that you notice the Africans mentioned on the Portuguese ship were not mentioned as slaves. They were mentioned as prisoners. Okay? And this is very interesting because we know that especially in early colonial slavery and the enslavement period of the early transatlantic slave trade that many of the peoples who were captured were prisoners of war that were captured on the continent uh, from warring nations, different clans that uh, saw fit to take advantage as well of these, this now uh, burgeoning trade of human beings. Let's take a break, listen to some tunes. We finna catch this wave. You know what it is. Bye, boy, with Scipio. Let's get it. You're a musician. You create music for the world to hear it. In order for the world to hear it, they need to be able to access it. In order for them to access it, your music needs to be on every single platform available on this planet. Visit oringi.org today to see your dream become a reality. Brace for impact. That was a good, good young homie of mine, a believer, coming out of the Midwest, Cleveland, Ohio, to be exact. He's a young father, young husband, serious about his hustle. Working very, very hard, I must say. When I was first led to this young brother, I knew exactly um, how to relate, how to help him, and how to assist him moving forward. And he has been a total blessing. I want y'all to support him if you can and when you can. And look out for him in the future. He's going to be doing some great things. He has a lot of great projects coming up. And uh, I want y'all to look, at, look out for him. I was first uh, introduced to this idea of a 400th year anniversary. I want to say back in late 2015, early 2016, as a part of the Hebrew Israelite movement. I got involved with the Hebrew Israelite movement back in 2013, I want to say. Technically though, uh, my first taste of the movement came in 2005. Um, When a brother walked up to me Long story short, walked up to me and told me that I was an Israelite, to which I responded. But you talking about one of them people over there in Israel, them, them Israelis? And he was like, nah, 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 brother, I'm talking about the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, you know, when he told me that, it kind of shook me a little bit. I was about 19 at the time. And even though I was raised in the church, I had never really thought about Uh, the connection from that perspective. You know, everybody's God's children, right? It doesn't really matter when you're a Christian, uh, especially, well, I want to say worldwide at this point, it doesn't matter what your race or ethnicity is, as long as you accept Jesus as your Savior and as long as, um, you know, you live um, according to the tenets presented within the book, you know, the pages of the book. 
And so when I got introduced fully and completely to the Hebrew Israelite movement, it was back in 2013. I began to take all of my previous studies that I conducted up until that point, and I began to look at them from a slightly different perspective um, as being one who was possibly authorized to present this, this truth, you know, being a son of Jacob, a descendant of Jacob, so-called. Eventually, as I began to get deeper into the study, naturally I wanted to begin sharing what I learned. And I began uh, creating different um, channels to present what I learned and I began to deliver the perspective of truth delivered through me that way. Around the end of 2015 is when it came to my attention that uh, we were coming up on this 400th year anniversary of the first Africans brought into Jamestown. Now in the Hebrew community, the Hebrew Israelite community, those Africans would have been uh, and are considered to be Hebrew Israelites and um, more specifically tribe of Judah now without getting too deep into the narrative of the, the biblical narrative I find that it's very important to bring this up because out of all the different groups um, be it Black Lives Matter um, uh, the Baptists and Protestant and you know the missionary church system and you know, the different denominations that we have, the, um, the Jehovah Witness and what have you. It was the Hebrew Israelite community that saw the importance to bring up this 400th year anniversary. Now, according to the narrative received from multiple sources within the Hebrew Israelite community, this 400th year anniversary was supposed to mark something very great and spiritual that's supposed to take place or was had supposed to have take place or supposed to have taken place excuse me now what we have to be careful with is prophecies and the idea that um, we can read something and predict a future outcome from that thing what I find interesting though about this particular so-called prophecy of 400 year uh, spiritual awakening, this 400 year uh, end of captivity, this 400 year celebration, which also seems to be detailed within the pages of the Bible. Um, and then when you take that narrative and you line it up in a way where we know uh, through archival records and historical records in modern times, that these instances did happen and we have more of a definitive time frame to when we can start and begin this 400 year period and then mark it off. So that's very interesting, you know, and that's a narrative that I looked at carefully at the beginning of it being introduced to me. And there was always something though that stuck out to me. And, there, and, and, and this is where, you know, um, as I deliver what I'm going to say, you know, I want you all to know that I really don't have an agenda except that we must do our best to allow truth to be propagated and, and do it in a way where we can uh, present the truth, but also give people the chance to check that truth for themselves and conduct their own due diligence. So instead of me saying what I, you know, uh, 
think it's going to be. Let's talk about what actually happened. And yes, we do have a 400 year period marked off from 1619, August 1619 to August 2019. That is definitely 400 years of a, of a very tumultuous period in time. But when we talk about the transatlantic slave trade and the idea if we're going to lean on um, a Hebrew Israelite in captivity perspective, we must recognize that the overall trade of enslaved humans began much earlier, um, not only with the Portuguese, um, shortly after Columbus uh, so-called discovered the New World and landed in Hispaniola, but that was 1492. Shortly after that, the transatlantic slave trade began. And it actually began with enslaved individuals being sent back to Europe as proof that there were uh, individuals in the lands that could possibly be used within a servitude manner. For more funding, uh, that's what Columbus was seeking. And so he had to come back with all sorts of proof. And some of that proof were uh, the Arawak and Taino um, natives who lived on the island of Hispaniola. But what I'd like to just make clear is that the 400-year period did exist, and it does exist. There is an anniversary, but the overall transatlantic slave trade began much sooner. So if we were going to use a 400-year time frame of when any African people touched foot on the new world within chains and in bondage, well, then we'd have to start it much sooner. And therefore, it would it must be made clear that the 400 year period has been over and has been reached for quite some time. And if that is the case, well, then the prophecy of a spiritual awakening or the return of a, a, a Messiah figure may have happened or may have not happened. And that's something that is yet to be manifested, though. But in all of my study, the 400-year period has already taken place. So we're going to get into some music. We're going to rock out real quick, and we're going to vibe. Let's catch this way. You're a musician. You create music for the world to hear it. In order for the world to hear it, they need to be able to access it. In order for them to access it, your music needs to be on every single platform available on this planet. Visit oringi.org today to see your dream become a reality. Brace for impact. And I love that song. That's my people. From the rising, rising superstar, Joe J, coming straight out of the San Francisco Bay Area. That young brother's super special. And yes, it's true. He is my baby brother. We did occupy similar spaces, if I may. Uh, and I say we, I talk about our physical vessels. You know what I'm talking about. But um, speaking of physical vessels and occupying spaces, we are living in a matrix. Um, it's no secret 
what I find interesting is that uh, the takeover of the so-called New World was the establishment of this current matrix that we live in now, and it was the attempted removal of an ancient and natural organic matrix that was established long ago. And it has been at war with this matrix ever since. The matrix of Mama Earth, the matrix of the Earth's heartbeat, the Earth's resonance, uh, the ley lines, uh, the natural chemistries of the Earth. All of these characteristics have been jeopardized by a serious group of individuals who have sought to rule the the world through control of the world's resources. And in doing so, they have established a matrix which is now seeing the decline of um, nature, the decline of resources, and the decline of life and the life quality worldwide. Why I bring up this matrix is because whenever I deliver a problem and the cause of a problem, I like to do like Lord Hill said back in her Unplugged special, you know, problem, cause, and solution. I like to deliver a solution if I may, but this is a very complex deal because we are talking about something that is multi-generational, which has literally been bred not only into the minds of those who were enslaved and the descendants of those who were enslaved, but also bred into the minds of those who were holding those captive and those who were supposedly in charge, uh, those who were the law writers, the code creators, if I may. They have descendants as well, and those qualities were bred into their descendants. And so we are still at this quagmire in time and space where we are experiencing uh, a lot of ancient and past memories, uh, what I like to call uh, genomic remembrance, um, if I may. Um, You know, the idea that past instances, traumas, uh, successes, victories, whatever you you may, are, are... are imprinted into the genome and passed on from generation to generation and that's where we get the idea of old souls you know um, the idea that a two-year-old can pick up a guitar and just start playing it or a piano and start playing it or just start dribbling a basketball or immediately know how to read Um, these are all imprinted into the genome and just like the genome has an imprint so does this matrix that we are currently experiencing in. So I want to discuss real quick the short period of time from 1619 until about 1691. Uh, let's just go to about 1705. Shorter than 100 year period where all of these laws and these uh, these these statutes begin to begin identified uh, starting with 1630 with the indication by surviving wheels, inventories, deeds, and other documents that in some instances it was considered, quote, 
customary practice to hold some Negroes in a form of life service, end quote. It should be noted that by examining these documents, it was also found that some blacks, and we talked about blacks in a previous episode that were, were able to hold on to their status of being indentured servants, thus eventually gaining their freedom. Now, I have a problem with this. Now, the problem comes if we're not able to read in between the lines. First, we see that Negroes were a part of this customary practice where they would be held in a form of life service, which is definitely enslavement, the modern enslavement, the shadow slavery that we had come to know eventually within this, this hemisphere. But even worse, we see that these peoples are being referred to as indentured servants. That it was also found that some blacks were able to hold on to their status of being indentured servants, thus eventually gaining their freedom. Now, to be an indentured servant meant that you somehow made it to the new world upon your own volition, but didn't have the funds to make the trip. So you indentured yourself into a service into, for a certain period. And when that period was done, and you paid off your debt, you were then free to go. Or you may have been in trouble with the law in a previous location, continent, particularly Europe. And upon your arrival, you agreed to work off your sentence, in which case you were then free. But there's a third indentured servant that we don't often talk about. And this is where we must read in between the lines. When these so-called blacks and Negroes are referred to indentured servants, because we know in the 1630s that any Africans that were brought over on ships were brought over in chains. So this is something interesting. And they were not looked at as indentured servants. They were looked at as slaves. So who are these blacks and these Negroes referred to as indentured servants? Well, my folks, my good people, these were the blacks and Negroes who were already in the lands occupying the eastern shoreboard and the southern uh, United States, Central America, and South America before the Europeans even arrived to the continents. That's right. This is why in 1630 there was a law and statute written in that some blacks and Negroes, it was also found that, quote, some blacks were able to hold on to their status of being indentured servants. And these blacks were indentured servants because when the Europeans came to the land and did not know how to cultivate the lands, did not know how to grow maize, did not know how to plant potatoes, did not know how to grow the corn, did not know how to hunt the, the, the landscape, okay? Did not know how to navigate the land. When they came and commandeered the land, that the peoples who lived on the land were already occupying. Many of them were captured as prisoners of war too. But in order for them to earn their freedom, they had to indenture themselves to the Europeans in many different ways, through different forms of service, teaching the Europeans how to live on this land. Y'all, let's get into some music. Let's cool down for a minute. We'll be right back after we catch this wave. Alright y'all, I know y'all was feeling that one. And 
if you uh been to the club lately and you've been rocking out at the club, I'm quite sure you done heard that one. I was wondering, who is that? Well, that's Mr. Olade. That's his song, Why. It's an international hit. And it's doing big things. It's doing big things. The video's going to be dropping real soon. All right? But um, as we get in deeper into this discussion, you know, 1639, all persons except Negroes are to be with arms and ammunition. All persons except Negroes are to be with arms and ammunition. Sound familiar? That same narrative has been played out all the way almost 400 years later because this is 1639 when this was passed. Then in 1640, John Punch, a runaway indentured servant, is the first documented slave for life. All right. 1662, slavery was recognized in the statutory law of the colony. Legislation was passed defining the status of mulatto children. Now check this out, y'all. This is very interesting because this narrative is still being played out today, too. I want y'all to really check this out. Legislation was passed defining the status of mulatto children. Children would be considered the same status as the mother. If the child was born to a quote-unquote slave, the child would be considered a quote-unquote slave. Now, what I find interesting about this is the truth of this statement is being revealed within all of the DNA testing that's happening right now. I've seen many results of people, many, many, even including my own, where there are supposedly European relatives within the family or are connected to you genetically or even to me genetically. But these people have absolutely no African DNA within them. They're so-called 100% European. Okay, now this is very interesting, but it's not a mystery when you remember that the majority of the mixing that was taking place in the creation of these mulatto children was happening because the Anglo-Saxon men, the European men, were having relations with the African women and the African women that were on American soil prior to the arrival of the Europeans. So this is something that is proven. And that is why we also have a high number of so-called African-American males in the country whose paternal Y DNA, the seed line that they carry, is that of a European man and not that of an African man. And this is something that is a quagmire yet, and it is very troubling, but it's nothing that we can change. It's nothing that we can uh, identify as something to hate the byproduct of, the child, you know. Uh, that's, that's nothing we can hate. We can hate the intent behind it, we can definitely dislike those people who unjustly took the, the innocence of hundreds of thousands of young women um, from them without their choice in the, or say in the matter 
or the, the, the millions of babies who were ripped away from their mothers, uh, the hundreds of thousands of babies who were killed in, in the womb and in transit during uh, the enslavement periods of so many, many African people. Um, this is something that we have to take into consideration. So there's a very sensitive uh, approach that must be had when we are talking about the mulatto child, okay? Now, in this sense, the mulatto child is always described as being of a European byproduct parent and an African parent. But the child would be considered a slave if the mother was African. And they did that because they knew, especially at that time, that it would be quite unheard of for an African man to have a child by a European woman. And if that did happen, the woman would more than likely, they would all more than likely be killed or she would be exiled with the child with no access to resources. Okay. So, with that being said, in 1667, baptism does not bring freedom. Uh-oh. There was a time when if you were baptized and the, the paganness, quote-unquote, was removed from your body, you can possibly earn your freedom. In, in 1667, excuse me, baptism does no longer bring freedom, though. Until the General Assembly outlawed it, baptism could be the grounds for a black slave to obtain his or her freedom. It was considered for a period of time that it was not proper for a Christian to enslave a fellow Christian. 1670, blacks or Indians, yeah, I'll read that again. Blacks or Indians could no longer own white indentured servants. This is 1670, y'all. So we're still dealing with the period of indentured servitude. When the natural born blacks of this country and this continent were able to own or keep track of or manage the Europeans who came over, who were not as fortunate to have means at the time of their arrival and who needed work and who needed a, a way to take care of themselves. Well, those Europeans indentured themselves to many of the blacks, many of the African people who were already on the continent of America before the Europeans even got to the continent. But in 1670, those same blacks or Indians could no longer own white indentured servants. 1680, an act was passed preventing insurrections among slaves. Blacks could not congregate in large numbers for supposed funeral or feasts. Blacks must also obtain written authorization to leave a plantation at any given time. They could not remain at another plantation longer than four hours. 1691, the first act prohibiting intermarriage. Wow. No Negro or mulatto may be set free by any person unless they pay for the transportation out of the colony within six months or forfeit 10 pounds of sterling silver so that the church wardens might have the Negro transported. So basically, y'all, they wanted to make that that fee so out of reach and so undesirable to be paid 
that wouldn't nobody in their right mind consider transporting a Negro into free lands. 1692, Negroes must give up ownership of horses, cattle, or hogs. Can y'all believe this? So, it was identified in 1692 that first, well, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, let's back up. It was first identified in 1670 that blacks or Indians could no longer own white indigenous servants. About 22 years later, in 1692, Negroes, those same Negroes or Indians, must give up ownership of horses, cattle, or hogs. Can y'all believe that? So the very items that were used to teach the Europeans how to survive and how to get down on this continent were then reprimanded and taken from the very teachers of the students. Separate courts were also uh, for trial of slaves charged with the capital crime, thus depriving them of the right of a trial by jury. In the early 1700s, slaves composed half of Virginia's unfree labor force, and then by 1705, the slave laws were codified. And simply put, codified means that uh, laws were um, passed into the penal system. So they now had uh, penal code .1-005, that type of stuff attached to them. Y'all, we finna lighten up real quick, get into some music, and then uh, we finna end with some closing thoughts. You're a musician, you create music for the world to hear it. In order for the world to hear it, they need to be able to access it. In order for them to access it, your music needs to be on every single platform available on this planet. Visit oringi.org today to see your dream become a reality. Brace for impact. That last tune you just heard was by the dance hall queen, Blackberry Enong, straight out of Trinidad. And Danje Seduction, the song title is Bad. Y'all go on and check that song out again. What do we do with everything that we've talked about um, as we come to form a solution? Understanding that not everyone will be on board with the ideas that might be presented. Understanding and realizing that uh, after 400 years of this system, we are still within it and it's clear that it's uh, only evolving. What do we do? Um, What do we do with the prophecy that many have expected to yield a certain result that technically should have been yielded years ago? because the advent of the transatlantic slave trade did not begin in 1619, but instead the first peoples, souls, and spirits of Africa who arrived in chains and in bondage after one of the most boldest jack moves we've seen and witnessed to on the seas since, uh, or at least that has been recorded and archived as happening on the seas since the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade and what could possibly, quite possibly be seen as 
that uh, that early seedling, okay, to get the European Englishmen into the game of the transatlantic slave trade. And we mustn't forget that the indigenous Negro, the indigenous so-called black man, woman, and child that was already on the continent of North America would have also recognized their brother, their cousin, their sister that came over in chains. And that is why we have this great narrative orally within the so-called African-American communities of having these indigenous and African roots because many of these these histories, these family histories are well-founded in truth and in fact. But due to the wiping out of the historical and archival records on paper and the proofs that these people are who they say they are in order to replace them with Europeans in order for these Europeans to then take the benefit that was to be bestowed upon the indigenous peoples of this land is something that has been hard to fight for many and has been difficult to prove for many. So this, 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 once again, I love to use the word quagmire, (laughs) quagmire for this discussion. That's going to possibly be the word of the day. Let's go for it, quagmire. Because we are stuck within the matrix and there have been so many generations of people born into this system that it would be just so difficult to attempt to wake everyone up at once. So people are waking up as they are, which is totally cool. So the solution that I've been proposing and marinating on myself is that we all recognize what we do best within ourselves and within our own right, and we begin to buckle down and to do the work. We are now at a place in time where we have lawyers, doctors, where we have uh, political advisors, where we have um, teachers and uh, educators in high-ranking positions. We have all these accesses, but what we do not have is a unity and a unified front. So if we can passionately identify a common ground and then begin to take the steps forward to to conglomerate our expertises and the different fields that we have studied and become uh, adept in, we can begin to exact change upon our situation and upon the laws and statutes that have been written that are against us and they can begin to be presented to a world court Uh, outside of federal jurisdiction because it's clear as day that these laws and statutes are not going to change uh, by the hand of those who writ them or their children, okay? What, What will have to happen is multiple nations will have to see fit to the removal and uh, amendation of these codes and statutes. And I'm afraid that if that doesn't take place, that the passion that other nations will then feel for our plight and our eventual rise will be so strong that they will want to uh, exact other means to make that a, a reality for us. And that's just the reality of the situation. Uh, and one of the multiple scenarios that could take place if we were to unify 
collectively in order to change um, this over 400 year uh, narrative that we have all been experiencing on both sides of the fence. You know, it's time to to recognize that so many people were uh, and are harmed even present day by the decisions and actions of those of the past. There are European descendant children who totally, totally remit and are are totally ashamed of their past, uh, their descendants, uh, excuse me, their ancestors' past. And um, there are those who are totally thrilled by their ancestors' past and seek to uphold the tradition of their ancestors. And there are those of African descent whose ancestors' traditions were stripped from them, of indigenous descent whose ancestors' traditions were stripped from them, who wish that they could reclaim uh, just a, a minute sense of, of what it could feel like to be a part of the cultures of old. But they have to imagine, we have to imagine uh, in many cases. But, you know, when you look at the fence itself, it can be chopped down, it can be broken down, and the united front on all sides could take place. As we recognize this 400-year anniversary of the first African people brought to this country enslaved and in chains, I believe that the theme of their arrival still holds true today, and that's work. Work has been the 400-year ongoing theme. But now it is time for us to begin to look within ourselves once again, taking the lessons that we have learned from Tulsa, from Rosewood, from uh, Mississippi, from South Carolina, from Virginia, from Chicago, from LA, from San Francisco, from Harlem, from Pensacola, you know, from all these places, from St. Louis, from Cleveland, Texas, Houston, Oklahoma, all these places, Arizona, all these places, all right, y'all, and that's just up here in the northern continent, it's time for us to begin to find that passion again within ourselves and begin to work for ourselves and to begin to turn all of that good energy back into ourselves and believe in ourselves again and to recognize the value and worth within ourselves and take a chance on ourselves one more time. And let's see if we can get the world behind us to right these wrongs that have been committed against not only us, but our ancestors. Because they are us and we are them. With that being said, I hope y'all enjoyed this segment of the Vibe Boy Podcast Show with Scipio. As always, I look forward to hearing from y'all. Leave me any messages, any uh, thing that y'all would like to share with me about any previous episodes or segments, this one included. And as always, y'all stay safe out there. Grab your surfboard and stay ready to catch that vibe that way. All right, we go.
Thank you for joining me for this segment of the Vibeway Podcast Show with Scipio. I truly hope you enjoyed yourself. I want you all to know that you can look forward to more great content. I'm going to be having some very special guests featured in the future, and I'd like you to tune in for those episodes as well. I look forward to hearing from you, and as always, get your surfboard, because we finna catch this wave. You create music for the world to hear it. In order for the world to hear it, they need to be able to access it. In order for them to access it, your music needs to be on every single platform available on this planet. Visit oringi.org today to see your dream become a reality. Brace for impact.